TheYeshiva.net. Today's class is dedicated by Stanley Durbin in loving memory of Bluma Leia Bazdovid in tribute to the yard site on Shushan Purim Kotten, the 15th day of the first month of Adar, Tehei Nishmasa Tzrura B'Tzrur HaChayim, to remain an eternal source of light and blessing. And thank you so much, Stanley, for your friendship and partnership and generosity and for this tribute in her honor. And may you be blessed with Arichis Yom and Mishanam Taivas and all the blessings, and thank you very much. Today's class is also dedicated in, in, the, in the loving memory of a very special soul who, who passed away very young, so a young husband and <coughs> a young man. His name is Reb Yaakov Zev ben Reb Meir Shlita. Reb Yaakov Zev Rottenstreich, Yankee Rottenstreich, in tribute to his yard site, Yud Zayin Adar, on the 17th of Adar, dedicated by his uh, beloved sister, La Rechis Yaman Vashanam Taivas, Tehei Nishmasai Tsuruda Betzer Hachayim, may he remain a Good to better for you and the whole mishpacha, and an eternal source of blessing and light, inspiration for, for the whole family, his family, your family, the extended family, the community, and all of the Jewish people, until the moment of Today, we're going to learn a piece from the sefer called Oyev Yisrael, the lover of Israel. Parshas Kisisa. I just want to give a few introductory remarks about the author of this great Hasidic work called Oyev Yisrael, the lover of the Jewish people. The Hasidic work Oyev Yisrael was authored by a man known as the Apter Rav, the rabbi of the Polish city of Apta, also known as the Oy of Yisrael, the lover of Israel, his name was Rabbi Avraham Yehoshua Heschel. Rabbi Avraham Yehoshua Heschel was one of the great early luminaries of the Hasidic movement. He's also known as the Apterov, the Rebbe of Apta. He was born in the year Tovkov Ches, which means Tovkov Ches is 1748. Although some people put his birth a few years later, Tafkov Tesvav, 1755. He passed away approximately at the age of 77, Tafkov Peihei, which means uh, 85. Uh, 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 not 85. Tafkov Peihei passed away, Hainis and Tafkov Peihei, 1825. 1825 is the year of his passing. And just a few words about him. He was a descendant of a very famous rabbinic family in Poland. He was considered a great mind and a great heart. He was a big gone. He was a big London. He was a great student of Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk. The Noyem Elimelech, the Rebbe Reb Melech, who was a student of the Magad of Mezrich. And 
he was a student of Rabbi Chiel Michal of Zlotchev, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tev. So he's like the third generation of Hasidic masters. He became the famous rabbi of Apta, the city in Poland. He was very cherished there, he was very beloved there, and that's how he's known today, the Aptarov. Later he actually moved to become the rabbi in a place called Yasi in Romania. And then, ultimately, he moved to Mezhebush. Mezhebush is a little city in the Ukraine. It's, of course, the cradle of the Hasidic movement. It's where the Baal Shem Tov lived, and the Baal Shem Tov passed away. And over there, he wasn't the rabbi of Mezhebush, but when the Baruch of Mezhebush passed away, he became the Hasidic master, the Rebbe in Mezhebush. And that's where he lived until his passing, in the year Tovkov Pehei in Nissen, 1825. And he's buried in Mezhebush, very close to the resting place of the Baal Shem Tov. There's a special, if you go to Mezhebush, there's an ayah, like a special tent, or a little structure, in which there are a few resting places, the Baal Shem Tov, and one of them is also the Apter of Rebbe Avram Yeshua Heschel. He wrote two svarim, one is called Teres Emes, and the other one is called Oyev Yisrael, the lover of the Jewish people. And that's why he's known today among many as the Oyev Yisrael, the lover of Israel because of his, uh, his Sefer. There's a story about him that he once said that every Parsha is about Avas Yisrael. Every single portion of Torah is all about loving another Jew, loving another person. And there was somebody who was you know, skeptical and cynical. So he says, Rebbe, what about Parsha's Balak? <laughs> so he says, oh, Balak, of course, the name is all about love, because Balak is three letters, and it's the acronym of V'yahavta L'reyecha Kamoicha. Balak, V'yahavta L'reyecha Kamoicha. He said, oh, Rebbe, come on, this shows how ridiculous your perspective is. V'yahavta is spelled with a vav, and Balak is spelled with a vez. Okay, the Lamed you got right, L'reyecha, but Kamoicha is spelled with a kaf, and Balak is spelled with a kuf. So the Abderav tells him, Asakum tsa'avas Yisrael daf menisht azoy medayeg zaynim pratim. When it comes to loving another person, you don't have to get so detailed. And of course he was conveying a certain message. If you're going to start analyzing the nuances and the details and dissect everybody under an x-ray, you know, everyone has challenges and everybody has flaws. So today, I chose a piece from Oyev Yisrael, from the Apter of on Parshas Kisisa. Let me give you the background of the Pasuk that he addresses and we'll get right into it. Everybody knows Parshas Kisisa in many ways, is the most dramatic parish in the whole of Torah, if I could say so, because of the tremendous upheaval that happens. Parshish Kisisa is that portion that captures the Jewish people in three frequencies, three dimensions. The Jews who came out of Egypt to receive the Torah from Hashem at Sinai, who were this elevated, pristine people, literally operating on the highest level possible. And then the same parasha speaks about their descent into a moral and spiritual abyss with the creation of the golden calf. And then the same parasha deals with their healing, with their recovery, with their repentance, with the growth and transformation that happens 
after after failure and after tragedy. So in many ways, Parshas Kisis encapsulates encapsulate encapsulates within itself the entire journey of a person's life and the entire journey of history. It's the Aleph and the Bays and the Gimel, you know, that which comes before the innocence is shattered. And then there is the shattering of the innocence. And then there is the growth and the recovery that comes after the shattering. Or as I once spoke about, there's the Tkiya, and there's the Shvarim and the Trua, and there's the Tkiya G'dayla. There's the Tkiya before the broken sounds. Do, And then there's the Shvarim and the Trua, the broken sounds. Tu, 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 which the Gemara describes as Yilule Yalil Gnuche Ganech as a groan or a sob. Shmarim uh, 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 <laughs> But that's followed by the Tchia Again, that simple, pure, innocent sound. And we know that the Tchia that comes at the end is far longer, far greater, far deeper than the Tchia that comes in the beginning. So Parshas Kisisa captures these three components of life and history. Innocence, shattering of the innocence, than the recovery after the innocence. Moshe Rabbeinu's role at this moment becomes not just important, but it becomes central and vital because Hashem, so to speak, at the surface gives up on the Jewish people. He says, there's nothing to do. You know, if 40 days after Sinai, they are capable of descending into such a moral abyss, what am I supposed to do? There's no future for our relationship. There's no future for this people. And it's Moshe Rabbeinu who stands up to the master of the world and creates a paradigm shift and engenders forgiveness. And the Torah describes that moment after, the day after, the day after the creation of the golden calf. Moshe tells the Jewish people, you have engaged in a grave sin. I'm going to go up to Hashem and try to engender and achieve forgiveness. And Moshe returns to Hashem, and he says these words, and I'm going to quote, and these are the words you see here in the source sheet from Oyev Yisrael, Parshish Kisisa, the Pasuk that the Apterov is going to address. This is Sefer Shmois, the book of Exodus, chapter 72, verse 31. Perik Lamed Beis, Perik Lev, it's the Perik of the heart, because here you see the heart of Moshe Rabbeinu, Lev. So the whole story is Perik Levi, the heart of Moshe. At the end of Tchumash Rashi says about this story, Moshe's heart uplifted him, inspired him to break the luchas to save the Jewish people. The words of Rashi are Nesai Liboy, you saw Moshe's heart, Moshe's heart, Perik Lev. So this is chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 31, Pasuk Laman Aleph. Vayoshev Moshe Adenoi Vayoymer. Ono, Choto Amazechatogdoila. Moshe returns to Hashem and he says, Please, this sin has, this nation has indeed transgressed and engaged in a major sin. Their their sin was, was big, it was awesome, it was titanic, it was large. They created a god out of gold. And now, God, if you forgive them, good. If not, Blot me out, erase me from your book that you have written. Wow. Those are his words. And Hashem tells Moshe, 
I will erase the one who sinned against me and now go lead the nation. Forgiveness is in the process. Moshe has achieved his goal. Comes the Abtirov and says, By the way, if you find in the Jewish world an Avram Yeshua Heschel, he's probably a descendant of the Abtirov, like the Kapishnitzer Rebbe's family. Kapishnitzer was Avram Yeshua Heschel. There was a famous, famous professor and writer. Professor Abraham Joshua Heschel was a grandson of the Abtirov, named after him. Asks the Ayyavisol from after the Lichoide Yipole. This whole story is strange. Vichim Moshe Rabbeinu Olavar Shalom Raya Mehemne Yekatrigal Yisrael Chas Vashalom. Will Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher, known as Raya Mehemne, the faithful shepherd of Israel, will he become the prosecutor for the Jewish people? He goes up to God and he says, Oh, these guys, yeah, they really, really, really did bad. Usually, we expect the lawyer to minimize the crime, to say, yes, my client made a mistake, but it was a mistake. <laughs> it was done because there was a moment of insanity, there was confusion, there was uncertainty, there was panic, fear, dread. Moshe Rabbeinu gets up, and what are his opening words to Hashem in order to achieve forgiveness? Indeed, they really sinned and transgressed. A great sin, a big sin. Numerous times, Moshe Rabbeinu sacrifices his life for the Jewish people. Even here, you see, he tells God later, if you don't forgive them, erase me for my Sefer And yet he opens up his words with, with a message that seems to be contrary to that. He's like almost, yeah, they are, they're bad. What is even more strange, not only why would Moshe use these words, it's really out of character, but the context seems completely contrary to this. In this situation, he's trying to plead with God to forgive them. So what do you do at such a moment? At such a moment, you want to minimize their sin as much as possible. So that Hashem would fulfill His request and forgive the Jewish children. But not only did He not minimize it, Moshe Rabbeinu enlarges it, He he intensifies it. He dramatizes it. Ba'amre, when he tells Hashem, the nation has engaged in a great sin, he could have said, the nation has sinned. If you forgive them, good. If not, erase me. But he says, no. So he asks two questions. Number one, it seems out of character of Moshe to attack and criticize the Jewish people to God when usually he's on the opposite spectrum. He's giving his life for them. And number two, in this case especially, he's trying to alter the consciousness of heaven, so to speak, if we could express ourselves this way. He's trying to achieve and engender absolute atonement and forgiveness. So what do you do at such a moment? You put it in context, you find a limut schus, you find some rationale, some justification, at least you minimize it, but he does the exact opposite. Um, so the Abderov gives a fascinating explanation. 
However, kasher yaskilu, when we become intelligent, when people become perceptive, and a person contemplates in his heart, he can truly know and understand, there is no punishment, there is no penalty for the person who transgresses a sin that is greater than the sin itself. This is what the Apterov is saying. It says in Perkeyovus, Schar mitzvah mitzvah, schar avera avera. The reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. The reward or the penalty, the penalty for a sin is sin. What does that mean? So many commentators say that the reward of a mitzvah is that you'll be able to do more mitzvahs. But the Hasidic masters explain, and this is what he's going to explain here, it means something much deeper than that. Schar mitzvah mitzvah. The greatest reward you can give a person for a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. There's no greater reward for the mitzvah than the fact that the person had the opportunity to do the mitzvah. The greatest penalty you can give for the sin is nothing else greater than the sin. There will be nothing else that's worse than the sin. Why? This opens up our perspective to how we understand mitzvahs and averas. It's not about the reward and the punishment that follows the mitzvah or the sin. That is true, and that exists, and it's one of our principles of faith. But he says something much deeper than that is understanding the mitzvah and the avera, the sin itself. Hainu, explain. When a person really reflects well on the truth, ma'asa, what he did or what she did. When the person deviated from the blueprint, from the desire, from the will of the Creator of Hashem, blessed be He and His name. And what came out of this for him, the person, momentarily at least, became separated and distant from the source of life. If somebody says, you know, if you don't breathe, (laughs) if you if you choke yourself and you don't allow yourself to breathe, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to minimize. I'm going to take away from your wage or from your allowance. <laughs> There's no punishment that's going to come close to what the person is doing. The person is depriving themselves from the oxygen that's necessary for life. The, the, the greatest... The greatest penalty is the act itself. A mitzvah is an opportunity to connect. The word mitzvah, we always say, comes from the word tzavsavachibur. It's an opportunity for connection. It's about the relationship. The avera, more than anything else, is there's a temporary or at least an external interruption in this relationship. Because I don't want to say the relationship is completely interrupted. A Jew is always connected, and there's always tshuva. But on some level, I'm choking. There's a distance from my own source, from the source of life. What can be, says the Apter of worse than that? That the person has become distant from their own shayr shachayim. And you know how painful that is. And I'm going to add something else. 
What's the word? I said, I said this last week. We had a session with South Africa. I don't know if you saw it. It's on the website, theyeshiva.net. It's called The Journey of a Soul in Life and Afterlife. We spoke about the whole journey of an neshama from conception through pregnancy, through birth, after birth, throughout our years until after 120 years, Ganeidin, Tchisamesim. So I said that the word in Tanakh for the abyss, for Gehenna, for purgatory is Sha'il. Sha'il Tachtis, right? Uh, David HaMelech says, Im esak shamayim shamata vatsiya sha'il hineka. Tehillim 139. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the abyss, you're there. Sha'il Tachtis. The word Sha'il means the abyss, but it really comes from the word Sha'ul, which means borrowed. When somebody lives a borrowed life, that's the abyss, that's the Gehenim. In other words, it's not being in touch with your own vibe, with your own life, with your own energy. It's like I'm copying you, I'm emulating you. It's almost, I'm like a shell. I don't have an inside, and I'm just looking at you to see what you're doing in order to emulate you. And some of us, psychologically, as extensively, live our lives this way. Our inner self dies, and we're just borrowing our life from somebody else. And why is that called Gehenim? Because... That is the definition of it. It's completely not in touch with my life, not comfortable in my skin, not knowing who I am. The very concept of an Avera is that a Jew deviates from the blueprint of Hashem, from the manual that allows my body and my soul to be in sync, to be aligned. That's why it's called Avera. The word Avera is a strange term. Call it Chet, call it a sin. What's the word Avera? Avera is you have an Allah, Hamavir, Somebody who passes over. You pass over. Avera means there's a lack of alignment. There's a misalignment. A person's body needs to be aligned. Just like when a person is hunched over and there's a lack of flow of energy, of circulation, a person's body needs to be aligned. Aligned with what? Aligned with the divine energy in the world. A person is a ladder. Like Jacob's dream. Your ladder is standing on the ground, but the head of it reaches heaven. And the person, when you're aligned, when you're standing with your full physical and spiritual stature, so now you become a channel for the flow. Avera means I become misaligned, a part of me. Is not in touch anymore. It's not aligned. It's not connected. In other words, the energy gets interrupted. The energy gets stopped. What does that mean emotionally? Emotionally means I'm not in touch with my own source of life. And that is the greatest source of emptiness and pain and anxiety and loneliness. You know when you sometimes feel detached from yourself? Some of you know what I'm talking about very, very well. And it could be an emotional crisis. You're detached from yourself. You're detached from your own shadows. You're not anchored in yourself. There's almost two people. There's like this duality, this dichotomy, this split of personality. There's two people. There's who you are and there's how you're manifested in this world. And the two are not the same. I am, I am not aligned with my own source. I'm not anchored. It's like uprooting a tree from its roots. It can't live. It needs to be anchored in its shayrish. So the Abterov says, What's going to be worse than somebody who becomes distant from their own shayrish, from their own source of life? A relationship with Hashem. Following the blueprint of Hashem doesn't mean I'm following the dictates and the commandments of some strong, big king existing in heaven who could punish me. That's a very, very superficial presentation of Judaism. A relationship with Hashem means a relationship with the Sherish Hachayim, with the source of life, with the core of life, with the core of reality. In other words, a relationship with Hashem means a relationship with my ultimate self, with my core self, with my ideal self, with my pristine self. 
This was one of the great teachings that the Baal Shem Tev and his students bequeathed and inculcated in the Jewish heart. It's not that I do a mitzvah in order to have Gan Eden, and I avoid an Avera in order to avoid Gehenim. That's a very superficial relationship. It's much deeper than that. A Jew says the Baal Shem Tev, a Jew does, does a mitzvah, and that is the greatest Gan Eden. That is the greatest Gan Eden. Schar mitzvah, mitzvah. A Jew Chalila does an Avera, and that's the greatest Gehenim. Schar Avera, Avera. You have the best relationship in the world with your spouse. Or you have an unbelievable friend. You're like best friends. And then you do something that causes you to become distant from your spouse. So you say, oy, 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 she's going to punish me. She's not going to do it. She's not going to make dinner. She's not going to do my, my laundry. She's not going to do X, Y, and Z for me. Or he's not going to do X, Y, and Z for me. You missed the point. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe not. What bothers the person is that I became distant. It's the distance that kills me. It's the fact that I detached. It's the fact that I separated. This relationship means so much. This relationship is so enriching. This relationship is life-sustaining. This relationship adds so much flavor and depth and authenticity and goodness to my life. And now I did something that caused me to separate from you. That's more painful than any punishment in the world if you are a sensitive soul. If I don't care about relationships, then yes, it doesn't matter. Then it's all about the consequences. But if you appreciate the depth of the relationship, that's... What's worse than anything else? Wow. I feel separate. I know that I did something that separated me from my own shayrish, from my own source. That's very painful. Ah. You hear, you hear what the Abtarav is saying. The person realizes that they fell into a husk, into a shell. It's like I'm living in a bubble. It's literally, you know, you say this person is a shell of themselves. What does it mean they're a shell of themselves? It's almost like I'm living in this husk that's encompassing me. Or chitzayinim, in a place of externality. These words, klippus and chitzayinim, are very frequently used in Hasidic works. And people often don't understand them. They think klippus, chitzayinim, some type of spiritual devils and demons that you fall into. But it's really a very, very authentic and sophisticated expression. Klippus means husks. Chitzayinim means externalities. A person falls, they downgrade themselves instead of being a ladder that begins with heaven and comes down to earth instead of being who I am, the interlacing link between heaven and earth. I become a shell of myself. I'm in a bubble. I'm eclipsed. I'm not in touch with my energy. My authentic, pristine identity as a piece of God is compromised, it's exiled. And I'm living in a world of chitzonim, in a world of externalities. And the result is profound, profound remorse, profound shame. He uses interesting words, the person gets dressed in great shame. What does it mean a person gets dressed in great shame? Shame can't be your core. If shame is your core, that becomes worse than anything else. That becomes worse than the sin. Because that will keep you down and distant forever. If shame becomes not a levush, but a core. If shame becomes my second name and my first name, 
It's a very, very challenging situation. He says, he gets dressed up in great shame. Shame is the feeling of remorse. I'm embarrassed. I feel the pain. I feel the grief. I feel the shame of what happened. Now, maybe it was deliberate. Maybe it was not even deliberate. It was a moment the Gemara says in sight, there's always a temporary spirit of insanity that enters into a person's mind before he or she chokes their soul. Before I take the oxygen out of myself, something in, of insanity has to go into me. Now, that insanity takes on many forms. I'm lonely, I'm broken, I'm dejected, I'm not thinking, I'm exhausted, I'm triggered. I'm, I'm in a place of confusion. But there is deep, deep shame. The person will also experience profound humility. The person will be filled with awe and with a, with a dread, with a sense of remorse and with sweat. And the way it's expressed is just complete, authentic remorse. I see what this distance did to me. I know what it did to me. I feel what it did to me. And I, I, I really feel bad about what I did. And therefore, I accept upon myself to change, to change this. I do not want to engage in this again. In other words, it's not just I have remorse and it's about guilt and shame. No, it's about a lesson for the future. And a person starts learning to live a life with misinut. Misinut means calmness, serenity, consciousness. Yishuv Hadas means I do things, I say things from a place of centeredness. There's an equilibrium. I'm aligned with myself. Sometimes a person is acting so impulsively, impetuously, in such haste. I don't know who I am. I'm going, I'm just, I'm in a chaotic space. I'm not rooted. I'm not anchored. Look at the tree. If the tree is not rooted, there's no tree anymore. The difference between us and a tree, is that our roots could move around with us, but we still have to have roots. People think that they're not like trees. They are like trees. If a tree is not anchored in its roots, it's dead, it's lifeless. If you're not anchored in your roots, you can't live fully. We also have roots. Our roots are on the top, they're not on the bottom, they're on the top. <laughs> Our roots are on the top, but you need to be rooted. The fact that I can run around physically doesn't mean I don't have to be rooted. I need to be rooted in the source of life. I need to be rooted in my own source, which is rooted in the source of life. So what does that mean? The person trains themselves that all their actions, all their engagements should be done with serenity, with pleasantness, with focus, with consciousness. To be fully present in your conversations, in your activities, in your schedule. With Yishuv Hadas, my perception, my mind should be there. And then I could see, you know, this act may be a deviation from the blueprint of life. These words may be hurtful. This gesture, or the opposite of it, may be really me moving away. Nidnud means I'm moving away from the will 
from the blueprint of life, Ratzon HaBoyre, doesn't only mean the will of the Creator. As the Tanya says, Ratzon HaBoyre means the life force of existence. I want you to understand this. Ratzon HaBoyre, it says in Tanya chapter 22, doesn't only mean the will of the Creator. Yes, that's what it means, but it means something much deeper than that. It's the cosmic engine of existence. Because all of existence is Ratzon HaBoyre, it's the will of the Creator. Being in touch with the will of the Creator means to be aligned with the flow of energy that pervades existence. And when the person is fully present and conscientious, the person could say, maybe this is off. But a person for this must be anchored and needs to think before they say things, think before they do things. In a good way, be fully present. Look at the results. Feel another person's heartbeat. Feel your own heartbeat. And when you are in a state of chaos, do what you have to do to anchor yourself. What they call today grounding. Says the Apter of when a person can really reflect on all of this. The pain and aggravation from the fact that I disassociated myself from the blueprint of life, from the will of Hashem, is very, it's just painful. As I said before, I, my, my soul is looking for its oxygen. There's no greater penalty. I'm, 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 I'm missing that source of life. There's a temporary sense of distance. Or to put it differently, the relationship that is so precious to me has been compromised. And there's no greater punishment. I could punish you, but that's that's going to miss the point. <laughs> like Chazal said, the schar, the consequence for a sin, is the sin. You could find and invent every consequence in the world, but it's all going to pale in comparison to the greatest punishment of all, and that is our distance. Our distance, our relationship has been compromised. And my distance from myself, my distance, my detachment from my source of life, my disassociation from truth, it's a dagger in the heart of a sensitive soul. That's what it feels like. Even if they will administer all the punishments in the world, these punishments will become insignificant because of the depth of the heartache of the fact that I could allow myself consciously or unconsciously, willingly or by mistake, to become so disconnected from truth, to become so disconnected from the source of life. And I want you to understand, somebody who's more sensitive understands this much more, what they call today an HSP. If you're a highly sensitive person, this pain is worse than any other pain. Because all the pain in the world, oh, you're going to lose this privilege, and you're going to lose that privilege, and this won't happen for you, and this won't happen for you. It's all irrelevant. I don't even feel it. I don't even notice it. What's bothering me is the trauma of separation. I'm choking. My soul is choking. <laughs> you say, oh, oh, if you, I'm going to take away your allowance. I'm not going to give you what you wanted. <laughs> I'm dying inside. Do you think your punishments are going to mean something? 
There's something much more dramatic. And these are the words of the Aptarav. He says, this is what the real Jew understands and feels. So you'll say, no, you did a sin. There's going to be a punishment. It's schar avera avera. Don't you get it? The worst thing that happened here is nothing that you will bring to the person. It's the avera itself. It's the fact that I feel lonely. I feel broken. I feel detached. I feel disconnected. As I told the boys last night, today we know the antithesis of addiction is not sobriety. The antithesis of addiction is connection. This is about connection, connection with another, connection with yourself, connection with Hashem, who is the ultimate other and the ultimate self, because Hashem is the Shorish Hachayim, the source of life. The Chevra with me? You with me here? Comes the Abderov and says... Ah, this is what Moshe was telling God. These are the words, the appeasing words. Ba'amre, when Moshe Rabbeinu comes back on the mountain the day after the creation of the golden calf, and he tells Hashem, and he says, please, this nation has engaged in a titanic, in a major, massive sin. And we ask the question, this is out of character, Moshe. You're the lawyer. Come on, tell God, man. Look, some stupid calf they created. <laughs> some stupid calf. Some guys, they just got drunk last night. You know, they had a hard night. The Schwigger screamed at them and they didn't know what to do. We'll get them a little anger management. He tells Hashem, it's out of character. Especially the Abderav asked, you're trying, to, you're trying to find forgiveness. You're trying to engender, trigger forgiveness. So he says, we misunderstood Moshe's words. Moshe was saying very, very special words. He was telling Hashem, I want you to understand, the nation engaged in a great sin and they know it. They know it. This is how they see it. He's not telling Hashem what they did as a news reporter. By the way, God, if you think they're good people, let me tell you the truth. These guys are shreklich. They're horrible. He wasn't giving Hashem a report of the news and telling God how bad they are. He was explaining, he was telling Hashem they engaged in a great sin from their perspective. They know it. They have become aware. They have placed in their heart what happened. They can feel the bgam, the blemish, the effects, the cataclysmic, catastrophic, emotional, existential, spiritual consequences. They're experiencing the deterioration, the loss. That's the word, the tremendous loss, the hefset from being distant from their true, exalted, pristine, sacred source. Oy, there's nothing like that pain. The very pain, the wound that comes from the separateness, from the fact that I don't know who I am anymore. The picture of Dorian Gray, I'm looking in the mirror, I don't know who I am. I can't feel myself, I can't experience myself. Umelayim busha. And there's such a sense of shame, v'charot and remorse, v'chalavavam. 
with their entire in their entire heart there is such a commitment in their life there is this deep resolution this commitment that this is not a way to live i'm not going to live my life with both of my arms tied 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 behind my back both of my legs chained to the ground and not allowing my lungs to take in the oxygen that I need for life, and not allowing my blood to circulate. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not living a quarter of myself. I'm not living like a shell. I'm not living like a ghost. I'm, I'm not going to do anything anymore that is going to violate the blueprint of the cosmos. It's like when a person lives against the laws of nature, and this is so important to understand. When we speak about Torah and mitzvahs, it's not... God said, do this, don't do this. It's much deeper than that. When a person says, the Torah says it, I don't care what the Torah says. It's like a person says, I don't care what the laws of biology say. <laughs> I don't care what my genes say. When you follow your, the laws of biology, the laws of nature, you're not following a dictatorship. You're following a life that allows you to be part of life. And here it's even deeper because here it's the source of life. I don't want to live like this in a way that I'm not anchored, I'm disconnected from his will. But there's a commitment to implement and to live a life that fulfills that which is written in the Torah without changing it, without diminishing it, because it's a transcript, it's a sentence for life. That's what he says, it's in order to allow people to live. Moshe Rabbeinu says, we should choose life. I want you to live life to the fullest. God wants you to suck the marrow out of life. The Nimtza, he says to Hashem, if this is the case, let's realize, they already received the greatest punishment. You're thinking of punishing them and penalizing them. Don't you realize that anything you do now is going to be insignificant? You know what the greatest punishment is? They realized what they did. And that realization is greater than any other punishment. Possession is smalu busha uchlima ba'emes. Their hearts are truly filled with a sense of inner shame of inner remorse, and this is completely sufficient, and therefore they're completely worthy of atonement, of forgiveness, of removing every last stain, and he completes, and indeed, may this be the will of God. So Moshe Rabbeinu uses these words, not to exaggerate their sin, or to badmouth them, or to tell God how bad they are. No, he's telling Hashem, now is the time for forgiveness. There's no punishment that's going to be greater than the punishment of what happened, and they know what happened. And they feel it. And that's it. That's all you can ask for. This means they're completely in a good place, because they're learning from their mistake. And if you learn from your mistake... The mistake is transformed into an educational and pedagogical experience. And indeed, Moshe's goal is fulfilled. God does forgive them. And this is, by the way, how the Teldus Yaakov Yosef, the student of the Baal Shem Tov, explains in the name of his teacher, the Baal Shem Tov, the very concept of Gehenna, the very concept of purgatory. 
The Pasuk says, Kel Nekamas Hashem, Kel Nekamas Haifiyah. In Tehillim, we say it on Wednesday. God is a God of revenge. The God of revenge has appeared. And the Baal says, why the repetition? Kel Nekamas Hashem, Kel Nekamas Haifiyah. And also the names of Hashem that are used here are strange. We should use the names that represent the attribute of severity and sternness and judgment. Like Eloikim or Adna Alav Dalad Nun Yud, but the names that are used are names of compassion. Kael, Kael Chesed Kal Hayyim. Kael is the attribute of kindness. Kael Nekamas Hashem. Yud Kevavke is the attribute of compassion. Kael Nekamas Hafia. So the Balsham Tev says, let's understand the verse. Kael Nekamas Hashem. God takes revenge. You know how he takes revenge? Kael Nekamas, the God of revenge. Hafia, he appears in your life. That's how he takes revenge. The great revenge that God takes is not by punishing you, it's by appearing in your life. And you suddenly realize, OMG, what did I do? How could have I distanced myself from the most precious, priceless relationship in the world? It's like what the addict feels when he wakes up that day and he realized he had the best marriage in the world and he threw it into the dustbin. He had the most amazing children in the world and he just threw them out of his life. He had a great job. He had so much potential. And he suddenly realized he sold his soul on the altar of the devil. There's no greater punishment than that realization. When God appears in your life, when you realize who you are and what your potential is and what your glory is and how I am so detached from myself, he says, that's the greatest revenge. It's not revenge. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. Kale nekamas Hashem. By Hashem, the revenge is all about chesed. Kale nekamas because it's about His appearing in your life. When you realize how powerful this relationship is and how I hurt it, how I devastated it, at least temporarily, that's the greatest consequence. This is what Moshe is telling the Jewish people. There's no greater punishment than the and from here there's only going up. They're transformed and nothing else will transform them like this. Because this is what real pedagogical education is. When a person becomes aware, not of consequences. If you do this, you're going to get a ticket. You know, how many people, after they get a ticket because they're speeding, they sit down, they close their eyes, they meditate and you say, you know, these police are really, really right. I have to do tshuva and I'm never going to speed again. What usually happens is I got to make sure that if I speed, I'm not going to get caught. So when our MO is, if you do this, you're going to get punished. If you do this, you're going to get rewarded. We are operating on a very external level, and we're only addressing the most external components of the human condition. What we want to address is the pnimius, the authenticity. It's not about the reward or the consequences. That may or may not happen. That depends on the context. The most important thing is, can you appreciate the depth of who you are and the positivity you have the ability to live with, or the opposite? Can you see the toxicity? Can you see the superficiality? Can you see the falsehood? Can the person really appreciate the shame in this, and the dignity and pleasure in this? And that makes all the difference. Sending my love and blessings, and wishing you all an amazing day, a beautiful Shabbos. And everybody should have a lot of Hatzlacha and Brach of Hatzlacha to all of you. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution 
at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.